start our little podcast conversation with a jingle we don't have a jingle yet uh we need a jingle <laughs> rob rob's laughing at me right now because he's trying to think of a jingle uh but we are excited to be here for another uh conversation of staring into the sun it's not very sunny here in ohio today it's kind of gloomy but uh this that's a metaphorical more than uh physical reality in my situation today but um yeah i'm john gibson and i'm here with my esteemed brother yeah, I'm Rob Gibson, and I, I am in sunny, beautiful Colorado today. It's beautiful and sunny out. It's gloomy here in Ohio, but we are we are two brothers. We, we've we really been enjoying... I've been enjoying this journey. I don't speak for my brother. I think he's been enjoying the yes. journey, too. Uh, but we, we have uh, been kind of navigating turbulent issues of life and culture, uh, particularly from two different perspectives. I am a pastor in the Church of the Nazarene, and my brother... Yeah, I'm a psychologist and practicing in Denver, Colorado, clinical psychologist. Yep. And our hope is to capture in these deeper truths this kind of collision, this explosion between head and heart, uh, the spiritual and the mental, the mind and the heart. And over the centuries, this has been a conversation with scholars and uh, spiritual people from the beginning of time. But this, these deeper truths that inhabit those places are really uh, what interest us. And uh, we love to talk about it in our professions. And uh, our hope is that our conversations, and if you've been joining us for the last few episodes, that they have been stirring your heart, they've been uh, speaking to your mind, and hopefully moving moving you uh, towards wholeness. That's really the the hope of uh, my brother and I, is that yeah. these conversations would be beneficial for you as a listener. Uh, and if they are beneficial, we would sure love you to subscribe. That's right. <laughs> I was uh, My brother got on today, and he was uh, gushing all over me, because all of a sudden we had like, how many r- likes, Robbie? Oh, we had around 80 or so. 80 yeah. likes. And we had those 80 likes because I finally um, invited my friends, <laughs> <laughs> which I hadn't done before. I'm a terrible podcast partner. Um, yep. So that's kind of fun. But we would love for you to subscribe. You can check us on all podcast apps. If you're listening here, you found us. Um, you can yep. go to our Facebook page. Um, we would sure love for you to share as well or even write us a review. We've Interact some great with reviews. us. Yeah, let us know topics of interest. Uh, we're definitely interested in interacting with you. So, yes, please. Yeah. So I, I guess we should, in the show notes today, we will include um, an email address that you can um, – connect with or you can even leave a comment in the podcast as well um, on on most of your podcast uh, apps you can leave comments yep. for the episodes you can even put your questions right there as well if you'd like to get in mm-hmm. touch with us that's the way to do it yeah on socials as well yeah oh social media too yeah, yeah. Absolutely. on socials i'm not mm-hmm. cool i don't know how, yeah on the on the uh the tweeter the twitter <laughs> i don't tweet i probably okay. i don't twit is it twit or tweet I don't know. <laughs> Tweet. <laughs> we probably should start the conversation. Yeah, I'm in rare form going. today. <laughs> yeah, let's get so going. Here's the deal. We, we what are we been talking having, about? I, I'm That's getting right. there, Rob. People you told me to host. Yes. <laughs> I'm hosting. This is how I host. All right. Rob gets right to it. I need to, you know, like be sweetened up a little bit before we yep. start talking. We've been having some good conversations um, the last few episodes. If you haven't listened to them, go back and check them out. But as we were chatting about what to talk about today, we thought it would be helpful um, to kind of 
set aside some of our deeper conversations and talk more on kind of this practical aspect. Maybe during the last few episodes, something has stirred your heart or maybe something has uh, come to mind or come to the surface um, in, in your own mind and heart, memories or whatever. We've talked about fear and self-esteem and uh, perfectionism, some to name a few. Um, and maybe you're at the point like many of us are in life where you think, I need someone to journey with me. You know, I, I need someone to kind of walk with me. It kind of uh, connected me with uh, one of my favorite movies. I'm a Star Wars nut. Uh, you like Star Wars, Robbie? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, the, in the first episode, Luke, or the first episode, the first movie, Luke Skywalker, you know, he's on his farm and doing his ordinary old life thing. And then, boom, this these droids fall into his lap. And all of a sudden, he's swept up into this craziness of life as Skywalker and the the lightsaber. And he turns it on, doesn't know what to do with the thing. And he's kind of finds this new piece of information about himself, but has no context and no one to help him journey towards becoming who he really is until he meets uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Right, and so today on Staring to the Sun, we want to help you connect with your Obi Wan Kenobi. Maybe you're Luke Skywalker. <laughs> Isn't that a great metaphor? Right, right. So we're looking for Obi Wans today, and uh, so let's just begin the conversation, Rob. How does a person, you know, in your practice or in your life, how would you just start if you're a person that needs needs someone to, to talk with or needs to help navigate? Uh, where do you start in finding someone to do that? How do you know that you need it in general? Maybe there's two questions you could kind of launch off from and help us have some conversation. Yeah, when, and that metaphor is so powerful. And you don't just find it in Star Wars. You find it lots of other places. Um, the The hero who's going through a transformation needs wise guidance. And, and it's not that the wise counselor does it for them. Uh, you see this in Lord of the Rings as well with the hobbits and <clears throat> Aragorn and Gandalf and you, lots of other stories. Um, you, you've got to do it yourself, but you, the, the, the necessity of having a wise guide to go with you to help you better understand yourself, to help you better understand what you're facing. Um, so there's just so much in there. That's, I think, why those movies are so powerful is because they're so true to us. Um, so I think maybe a good place to start is, you know, what, I think the first question is, is it, what I'm wrestling with, do I need help with it? Um, and uh, I think that's often where people start when they're considering reaching out for help is, what am I wrestling with and, and what am I seeing as far as, you know, do I need help? And I think, um, boy, usually we start to get signals from our environment that what we're doing isn't working. We we start to see that our relationships are breaking down or we're not sleeping or uh, we're feeling increasingly anxious or um, having a hard time getting out of bed. You, you start to see signs that, okay, something's not right. I, I, I think a good uh, metaphorical example is the way our, our physical pain system works. You know, you pain is a signal to pay attention to something. It doesn't tell you exactly what it is, but it does say, hey, look here, there's a problem. Um, and and our, our emotions and our bodies and our minds have ways of cueing us to problems of living too. They say, hey, look here, there's a problem. And so then the next question is, well, who, who do I go to um, uh, to help address my problem? And I, I'm curious uh, on your end, I mean, do what types of conversations do you have with people in the church, you know, when they're trying to wrestle with, you know, sh- should I see a therapist? You know, should I sit down with you as a pastor? Are my friends, you know, will that be sufficient? Like, I'm, I'm curious what type of 
questions you get in your church or what what's your what's your sense of how that operates something connected me with the, with what you just said there and i think before we get to even the the who do we talk to is i in my own life and with people that i've had experience with it's, it's just learning to to even recognize the signs that you're in need of someone to journey with you in that conversation. I think our our culture does a good job of telling us that, you know, you're fine. <laughs> as long as everything's good in your life, you're good. You, you know, it's like, you know, oil in your car. If your your car will go along fine for a long while, but if you don't if you don't change the oil long enough, do that general maintenance, um eventually your car is going to kind of break down at some point. You know, I think the same is true with us and I experienced this in my own life and other people's lives that there's there seems to be a disconnect from this idea either either my life is falling apart and that's the the time I need to I need help you know I have people come all the time in church like whether it's money or relationship problems or whatever and they say you know my mar- I'm getting divorced my or my spouse left me or my spouse is abusing me or you know I I I have no money and I'm my I'm 3 months late on my rent you know, and I think for me, a lot of time, that's a symptom of a deeper problem where folks um, don't recognize the their, the signs that there's need in their life to talk with someone until a lot of times it's too late. You know, like as a church, it's really hard. I, that's one of the hardest things I have to do is because we don't just have you know gazillions of dollars to pass out to people in need. We have lots of money to pass out with people in need. But if you came to me and said, "I need three thousand dollars, I'm going to be homeless," I can't help you. You know. But if you came to me three months before that and said, "Hey, I need I just need like four hundred bucks this month because we're short," we could help you and then help you with your budget and get you to a place where we can help you find work or whatever to kind of address the the problem that's building in life. And so I think something goes on with people. This is true spiritually as well that we we ignore the signs or we maybe we don't even know the signs. I was really interested when you were talking about the physical signs in people i would like to just maybe spend a little more time and we could talk from both our perspectives how does a person know maybe you as a listener today this stuff has been stirring in your heart and maybe maybe one of the topics really kind of poked at you how do you know when it's time to just maybe have coffee with someone or reach out to your pastor or reach out to a therapist and begin that journey what are maybe we need to clarify what are some of the signs that stir up in right yeah when you were saying that i was thinking about um some of the indicators of depression for children or for uh, especially with men sometimes um, they won't realize they're depressed because they think that the cue for depression is persistent sad mood Um, Mm. and they aren't experiencing that and uh, they come to me when things are really bad and we you know kind of think through what's going on and some of the earlier signs are things like I'm not sleeping well and I'm feeling way more irritable than I usually was and uh, like you know I'm just not doing stuff I liked as much but I didn't feel sad and so I didn't think I was depressed Um, and not knowing that you know things like weight loss or weight gain or not being able to sleep or sleeping too much um, you know depression isn't just being sad Um, and so being able to pay attention to the cues that your body's given you when you're when you're when you're not operating like maybe you had before um and i think i think a lot of times 
I don't know, there, there's a hope that things aren't as bad as they really are. Like if I just kind of hang out here, maybe it's not as bad as it really is. Um, it makes me think of any time in my life where, you know, I start having some early symptoms of the flu or something and I'm like, Oh, you know, it's, it's probably just <laughs> yeah, a cold. You can you know? will yourself. Yeah. To it's be just well. a cold. I think I'll be okay. <laughs> Which then, you know, might cause me to behave in ways that don't take it seriously. And then, you know, put myself at more risk or maybe other people at risk because I didn't take it seriously kind of like to avoid you know hoping that maybe maybe it's just okay and i think well the the first thing i think of in regard to that is uh, i think there's a reason for that you know sometimes when we come across discomfort uh, we we have to learn to differentiate between discomfort that comes with life and growth and pain that comes from injury um, and, and that's often hard to tell. You know, one of the cues we might have for discomfort is, well, you got to keep going because that's part of growth and strength and discomfort is part of right, developing. No pain, no gain. Right. right. You know, discomfort <laughs> is a part of developing. And so you might ignore it or say, I've got to keep going because that's part of growing and not necessarily being able to tell the difference between that and injury pain, which would say stop. You know, injury pain means stop right now don't do anything more because you could make it worse. And I think that's that's what people have a hard time with uh, mental health concerns, knowing, you know, when when do I know the stop point is that I uh, I need to go, uh, go talk to somebody? Um, I think something that's getting better, at least, um, uh, I don't know, I, th- I think I've noticed that this past year, especially as a result of COVID, is just the uh, the increasing support and acceptance of people acknowledging the impact of isolation, for example, and and destigmatizing going to get help. Um, and I think there's probably several stigmas that get in the way. I'd be curious what some of the ones you've seen. I mean, some of the ones I've certainly seen that get in the way of going to talk to somebody is that like, oh, it means I'm it means I'm weak, and I you know I need to be able to handle this on my own. Or um, you know, it means I'm uh, I, it means I'm crazy. Um, only people that are crazy go for mental health help. Um, now those are some ones I've seen. I'm, I'm curious if there's any that come to your mind as hesitations people have about take you know saying I think there's a problem, but I I probably should yeah. Hang this on is one here. of those collision moments, a beautiful collision, because I just wrote down on my notes, stigmas of someone or seeing someone or asking for help, like right before you said it. Isn't that beautiful when you do yeah. a podcast with your brother and you're just like there, that was an explosion of, of head and heart? Because, yeah, I, I think on on my side of the equation, a lot of times I think the stigma that I encounter is a, a little bit different because people um, a lot of times make the assumption that what what is is, if that makes any sense. Like there's no, there's no use for help because I'm just, this is the way that it is. I, I wrote down also that we, we struggle with an understanding of even having a baseline for wholeness. I encounter this with a lot of people that since they don't have a baseline of whole, for wholeness, and what I mean by that is they don't have an understanding or perspective of what it actually means to live a healthy and whole life. So they have no they have no baseline or no foundation to look back on and say that's how things should be. What they have is a distorted and broken image of how life should be, which convinces them that there's no 
there's nothing better or there's nothing that could be better. So no amount of talking to God or talking with anyone is really going to improve anything because this is like, and there's a lot of reasons for that, whether they feel unworthy, whether they've told, been told from the beginning that God is angry with them and they just need to duck and cover and, and, you know, seek Jesus's forgiveness for, I mean, there's, you could list all kinds of them reasons why people have a trouble um, recognizing that there's, and maybe it's a hope thing, uh, I think a lot of times, too, people try certain things enough times and experience failure enough times that they just stop seeking resolution for anything. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. You I try mean, something enough times and it doesn't work, then, like, what sure. the heck? Why that should I try with, anymore? That happens with therapy or with church. You know, I've I've gone to enough places. I've tried this thing out, and it didn't help. So therefore, you know, maybe maybe there's something wrong with that that direction of going uh, or, or where I'm trying to get help. Uh, yeah, I definitely have seen that. I, I'll often ask people, you know, what was your last experience? What have your experiences with therapy? What have they been like? Because I'm yeah. interested in that very thing. Um, and I've experienced that several different times on both sides. So I've I've had folks that say, well, I tried once talking to God about this and it didn't get fixed. So I'm done with God or, and specifically like I've referred people to professional, um, counseling. Well, I went once and we didn't connect and didn't work. So I'm never going back. (laughs) There's something about like, and if that's you today, if you've, if you've done, and we've all done that, right? We try something, we have high hopes for it and it kind of flops and doesn't work. Uh, We really want to encourage you uh, to don't, don't stop there. You know, persevere through or find, you know, and we'll get to that here a little bit of how to find a counselor that connects with you or even a pastor or a spiritual guide. You know, I, I'm a pastor. I want to connect with everybody in my church. Uh, do I? No. Uh, do, do we have people that leave and go to other churches because they connect with other pastors better? Yes. Um, and I've had to deal with that in my own um in my own ego and my own pride and feeling about myself. But I've learned that, you know, the apostle Paul says that we, you know, we want to be everything for all people, but the truth is we, we can't be. And that's why God made the body, right? There's pastors that are good at certain things and other pastors that are good at other things. So I say that to say, and we'll have a little more extended conversation about that. Don't, don't give up either. If don't be a one and doneer, you know, find your way to help for sure. Yeah, let me, I'll get to that. There's one more thing I wanted to respond to, and then I think we can jump into that. Um, the other thought I was thinking was uh, other barriers um, to going are, I think, experiences of betrayal and um, you know pain in relationships and, and learning the truth that people will betray you or hurt you. And I think that's definitely one of them um, is, is fearing that, you know, is there anybody that actually does care? And not just care, but actually can help because you can care and actually make things worse. Um, you know, I, I've done this with my plants before where I love them to death. Um, <laughs> literally, I kill them with my love. Um, and so. Uh, you, you like hug them and smash no, them? No, I give like, them. What just, are we talking about here? I drown them in water. <laughs> oh, you drown you know? them with you, love. You must be thirsty. So the water is your love. <laughs> That's right. My care and my affection. Right. And uh, so I think that's one of them. I think also issues around access are a problem too, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, do, is, there, is there a church that's open-facing in my community? Um, are there clinicians that 
um, that, you know, or take my insurance or reach out to my community or, or even in my community. There's, there's many communities where you might have to go hundreds of miles before you can reach a mental health professional. And then who knows if they're, if they're good at what they do. Um, and so I think, I think there's other broader issues that I think, um, go into, uh, hesitations, um, to seeking out help. Um, and, and I take responsibility for trying to improve that, but I think, Hopefully what we'll get into, what I want to go to next is let's talk about, well, say you want to push through the stigma or the barriers because you realize that, okay, I've got problems here that I need help. <clears throat> and that is just is so true. Like we, we do so much better solving problems and addressing issues in our life when we do it with other people for a lot of reasons. But that is just that's really true. And so how do I... If I'm going to push past these stigmas, uh, I think it's really important to be able to know some of the ways to to seek out a person, to choose a person, so that you're more likely to have success. Um, and this is something I teach a lot of my my trainees when I'm you know speaking to them. You know, uh, in a lot of places when we study how often people come to therapy and how many sessions, um, the the mode in statistics, which is the most recurring number in a data set, the mode. Uh, the mode number of sessions is one, which means the most frequent number of sessions that somebody, you know, people have is one session with a person. And so I really reiterate to people I train and to myself, you might have one chance with someone. And so uh, it's very important that you do you do things that help convey your availability to them, but also how you can help them. And often that's not what people get when they seek out. And so... Um, yeah, that's. Uh, I think that resonates with what you were noticing when you refer people. They'll they'll have a bad experience and then decide, you know, this probably just doesn't work. When possibly it was either a poor fit, the person didn't know as much what they were doing. Um, uh, they didn't convey that they knew what they were doing. There's a variety of reasons, and so, yeah, I'll, we'll we'll get. Yeah, you want to respond? Yeah. Uh, so something kind of comes to mind in church world too. I, I we have new people that come to our church all the time, um, and it's interesting because the, the people like desperately desire connection, um, but somehow I have been fed this belief that it, connection happens in one week. <laughs> you know, like they want to be a part of a family. They want to feel like they're they're part of a family and they're deeply known. And and if it doesn't happen after week one. They're, they're on, you know, and I've had specific conversations with folks who have come three or four times and, and still say, you know, we, we love you and we love the preaching, but we just don't feel like we know anybody. I'm like, well, you think you, you know someone in it t- like three, uh, and what we're talking about is basically three hours because you've, you've attended church three times for an hour on Sunday. And of that hour, probably, and we're we're a very conversational type of church, so we make space for this in our Sunday mornings, which a lot of churches don't. You come for your singing, your worship. You may have like a three minute meet and greet out of that hour. So really, you're you're spending which is three misery minutes, the three, for the introverts. So nine minutes <laughs> you've devoted in three, a three week time period to determine whether you know someone deeply. At Living Hope, it's probably about twelve twenty. It's probably about thirty six minutes combined for three weeks where you have had time to relationally connect with brand new people that you have no idea who they are. You've never met them before in your life. And I say that all to say that for some reason, we, I think we have a broken perspective that we want, we want these things to happen in our life, things to change, connections to happen, or even meeting with a therapist. And 
our investment is it's got to happen right now in this little moment or I'm out. And nothing it happens in life like that that's worth anything, right? No, no deep relationship happens in a moment. It happens over months and years of investment of time. No deep spiritual work happens. I mean, even I mean, it's even a true principle in your in a person's relationship with God, right? I, I want all the benefits of a relationship with God without any of the investment of time to be in that relationship. I think of the the people of Israel, right? God rescued them out of the the oppressive clutch of Egypt who was and had slaved them for hundreds of years and God gave them this promise, I have a land for you. And they come out of out of Egypt this miraculous rescue. I mean, God's parting waters and fire in the sky and doing all these kind of things and a day after they're liberated, they're wanting to go back because they what what their hope was wasn't realized in the time, and they completely missed the point uh, altogether that the promise was relationship with God and oneness with him, not necessarily a place. Um, but we, we have trouble with this investment thing, and I think that's a challenge point for me and you, Rob, and our listeners today is you, you, we can't think that all the work you need to do in, with a therapist is going to happen in one session anyway. So how do we... How do we challenge ourselves to really invest yeah. and go past that? Yeah, I was thinking, you know, that's actually a sign that you're with a charlatan. If uh, if mm. they convince you that one time with them or one moment with them creates deep, lasting connection, that's usually our our like suspicion starts to ping, or it needs to when we get a you know a signal like that because that'd be like somebody telling you you plant these seeds and tomorrow you're going to have fruit. Be like, okay, these are not real seeds. Like you're selling me something. <laughs> it's like the, the Office episode with Dwight. Do you remember that one? And Jim sells him this. Like he try he's he has these seeds that they're doing at this garage sale, and he tells Dwight, "No, you can't have these. They're they're magic seeds." And Dwight doesn't believe him. And he spends the whole day like keeping them from Dwight. And finally, Dwight buys them for like two thousand dollars and goes out and plants them. You know, because they're they're supposedly these right. magic seeds. <laughs> yes, Jim the charlatan. Yes. Yes. The, it, my other reaction to that I was thinking uh, especially in regard to therapy I think a challenge though is um, you, you have this you have this tension in the other direction which is how long do I give this before I make a decision if this is actually going to be helpful to me because the longer I spend uh, time here which is a valuable resource uh, and also often money in the case of therapy it's a valuable resource financially you know, if I give, you know, five, six sessions to this and it turns out it's not helpful, you know, I, I've, I've misused those resources and I got to start over, which takes a lot of mental and emotional energy too. And so I think, I think there's a natural reason for some of that like drive to pull out quickly of the process because I, I want to catch it early. Um, and so I think, uh, I think the point about things taking time is definitely true in regard to therapy. You know, there's skills that I can teach you up front that can be really useful to you. And also if you're looking at, you know, relational transformation, um, uh, working through trauma, um, you know, personality development, you know, these are all things that, that take time and extended periods of time and effort. Um, and so, 
having a good understanding of that is important to understand how to approach therapy. But I would say there's some tips that I would give to people when trying to initially choose a therapist or a spiritual uh, director or a friend. Um, you know, if you're, if you're wanting to walk with somebody to have them really help you, I'll speak specifically to a therapist because um, that's what I do. Uh, but I think there's some things you can specifically look for that can help make this go smoother. It's not a guarantee, but it can help make it go smoother. Um, so uh, I guess I'll, I'll start with this general uh, general principle from some of the uh, research in psychology and therapy on what contributes to people changing as a result of therapy. And there's a lot of studies on this and meta-analyses, which basically pools studies together and puts them into a single study to try to extract uh, things that might be true from the data. And uh, when we study change in therapy, there's some important factors for changing as a result of therapy. Um, Hope is one of them. And so, uh, you know, this kind of goes along with the concept of placebo in medicine. You know, if I believe that something's going to help me, that in and of itself is useful. Um, There's this really cool... um, uh, study of cyclists in uh, the mountains where they, they, you can actually train your body through belief that you'll get an infusion of oxygen and you can actually use something that doesn't actually infuse oxygen, but you'll have improved uh, oxygen flow to your body as a result, like it, wow. just through the process of belief and um, uh, conditioning, which is really uh, amazing what we can do yeah. as a result of belief and hope. Um, I'm, uh, I, I want you to ping off of that one once I finish the review. Uh, <laughs> because I'm sure you have something to say about hope. Um, But belief that therapy will help is one of them. Another one uh, is connection to the therapist. You mentioned this before. Um, You know, what's my sense that the person I'm sitting with cares about what's happening, um, has an interest in being present with it and being affected by it and joining me in it? Um, You know, that's a sense of, you know, can I... Can I connect relationally with this person? Can I trust them? Because you have to be able to trust them to share things with them. I think that's rooted in connection. And so um, that would be a second one. A third one, uh, this is the primary one that results in change, which is called extra therapeutic effects, which is everything that happens outside of therapy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, And that's the vast majority of, of what results in change. Um, and that's often what the target is in therapy, is what do we do about what's happening outside? Um, and then uh, a small percentage, I don't remember exactly what it was, it was something like 10% uh, in the meta-analysis, was um, therapist effects, which is specific things that therapists do differently than each other. Some work better than others. Um, so what is the therapist actually doing? Now, you might hear that and say, wow, 10% isn't really much. And some therapists I've seen will take that data and say, okay, what really matters is that I connect with my patient, with my client, and they'll spend a lot of their focus on connecting. What I've found with a lot of patients I talk to and as I've thought it through is 10% really matters because there's a lot of stuff in people's life that they don't just need connection. Okay, Connection helps to have a sense that I have someone working with me that I can trust. Um, But oftentimes, if you're seeing someone who is very good at connecting, but they don't make it clear to you, what are they going to be doing? Like, what is my strategy? Here's my understanding of your problem, and here's my strategy. 
this is how I think it would work to help you. If you're not getting that, um, then it makes sense that you're going to have experiences in therapy that are disappointing because what can often happen is I'll have somebody say, yeah, my last therapist I saw for about eight months. I really like them. Uh, I really connected with them and also, but I'm also thinking, but you left, right? Well, what happened? (laughs) (laughs) Something happened. It's not just about connection. Well, it's usually something like, well, you know, I felt like they really cared, but oftentimes I was just sharing with them and they were understanding. And that was all that they were offering me. And I needed more than understanding, right? Because I've got these problems to solve. And so that's where I talk about that 10% really, really matters. Um, And so I I push my trainees to really focus on getting, you know, maximize your 10% effect, like get it as high as possible. So those would be the four general areas that uh, contribute to change. I'll pause there. I'm curious what some of your reactions are to some of that. No, I love it. And let me just clarify from someone who just listened to you, uh, maybe so our listeners can have from just another perspective, the, the, these four change agents I kind of wrote down in my notes, hope or belief, um, trust or connection to therapist. I kind of put trust because I thought that was maybe more important than just the idea of connecting to your therapist. It's trusting someone to be able to share extra effects of outside influence and then uh, the skill of the therapist or what they're offering you to help. Um, I, I just I find that so um it's just helpful in terms of clarifying because ultimately the the desire of you as a listener and for us as well as and it's just life in general is we want to find and discover change you know because change offers us hope of something better and really it's what it always comes back to is how do I make my life or bring my life to a place that's better than it is currently um, or improve my life in some way and uh, Again, I think sometimes the thing that keeps people from taking the step of talking to someone is because they just they don't know how to start, um, and they don't really know what's what's involved or required to kind of begin that journey. And, yeah, yeah, and oftentimes people will talk about a first session they had where they're like, "Yeah, I, I felt like the therapist just spent a lot of time listening and getting to know me, <clears throat> and then we left." And I, I don't know what to do with that. And I think uh, one thing to look for, I, I encourage people to, to do a brief phone consultation first before you pay somebody to sit down with them. Because I think you should hear, um, at least now, in getting to know somebody in a brief phone consultation, I don't know the depth and the complexity of their problems. But I can usually get a hint of what kind of what generally they might be. And then I can give them feedback of like, here are some treatment directions that are, are can be useful for those concerns. Um, I think you should be able to hear that before you pay to sit down with someone. Um, you know, what what's your sense of how to approach problems? And if it's just you're going to listen to me and and appear caring, that's not that's not sufficient for you know. I'm seeking out somebody who's you know you know, purports to be a professional or an expert. Um, I need to know that you have something to draw on to contribute. Now, it doesn't mean I tell a person I'm going to solve their problems. I make it very clear. There are complex problems and I will help you figure out how to approach them. I won't tell you how to approach them, but I think up front before you sit down with somebody, a, a conversation to get a sense of, you know, how, you know, do I, 
how do I feel about sitting down with this person? It might be that how their voice sounds that just rubs you wrong or something. You know, you, you <laughs> might want to get a sense of that. Um, and then two, I encourage people like they should be able to tell you something concrete. Like this is what I think generally. And this is how I think I would begin to approach those. And if they're not sharing it with you, I would encourage you to ask, you know, given what you've heard me say, uh, I'm not asking you to solve it, but like, what do you think as far as some possible treatment directions that might be helpful for me? You, you should be able to get a brief sense of that. And then during the first session, uh, you, I think you should come away with uh, a couple things, a, a clear picture of how they think, what they think is contributing to your, your difficulties and also a clear sense of, okay, if I'm going to meet with this person, what are we going to be doing? Um, and why, and being able to have some hope that, okay, that would be helpful. Um, and then I usually like to at least offer somebody, hey, here's here's a skill, uh, something that I think you could use. Because I'm concerned that, you know, oftentimes um, in therapies, you, you might not have a chance uh, to see somebody come back. Um, so uh, my mode isn't one, but I think... Um, you have to behave like it is like you might not see this person again for a variety of reasons. And so I like to leave them with, Hey, here's something you could use, um, to make, uh, to, to potentially make an effect in your life. Um, and so I think those are things you should look for when you're initially saying, okay, I connect with this person, but what do they have like practically to offer to help me? I think that's important too. As you were talking there, another, another, um, boundary, I think, that came to mind was this idea that when a person comes, like if you take the step um, and to go talk to someone, you, you're putting yourself in a vulnerable position. Uh, I've, I've talked often about even what that I'm a word nerd, but that word vulnerable, vulnerable is the, has the root word vulna, which actually means to wound. So what, what you're doing when you're being vulnerable is you're pr- presenting yourself in a position of being available to be wounded <laughs> as what vulnerable means. And a lot of times that puts us in a position to, um, when somebody is speaking into us, whether it be a therapist or a pastor, it puts them in a position of authority over you. And we forget that they're as much a part of this life journey as you are and and aren't the one-stop shop either for – I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but I think a lot of times when you come to a therapist, you think, okay, whatever you have to say to me is right, and I don't have to hold you accountable at all for the things that you are telling me or to even discern whether what you're telling me is is going to be effective for my life. And when you, you kind of mentioned that, to spend time with a the therapist, to talk to them, and to even push them about how, how they would direct you and guide you to give you something other than just making you feel good or making you feel connected, it's it's okay to – Talk to your therapist in that way. They're they're not in a right. position of authority where you can't push them in that way. They're offering a, a service to you to help you in your life. Um, and even in a pastor like in my own pastoral life and relationship with others, the same is true. I'm not I'm not any above anyone and just because I'm a pastor and people put me there all the time. I'm an authentic person that I want to help and guide and direct. Um, but a lot of times when we come to a, a relationship from a vulnerable point of view, uh, we have trouble seeing our worth and value in that interaction. Right. Uh, maybe you can help me clarify what I'm trying to communicate yes. there, but I feel like I there's something there. Well, like advocate for yourself, right? Mm. Um, because you might spend, if you know, if you just implicitly trust the person that they know what they're doing without communicating the ways in which they know what they're doing or that they think are helpful directions, right? And I think that's important for me to clarify. It's not that I tell people this will exactly help you. I, I will help people understand here's some directions that I think will be fruitful and here's the ways that I would participate in that. Um, if, if you're not getting that, 
you know, you could spend, you know, five, six, seven sessions and uh, have an, a neutral to negative experience that might keep you from trying it again. It, it, at the very least, it's cost you money, time, and discouragement. Um, and so checking in on some of those things up front, I think, is really important. And having having a clinician who will be clear with you of what they think they can help with, um, how they understand and see change and how that works, um, getting a sense of that um, so that you can, you can make decisions. Um, because uh, sometimes the person might, you know, perhaps have like a very uh, rigid approach to like, this is the only way that I operate to help people change. And that can work really well for the people that it works for. But if you're not in that category, you might spend time or it might be your kid, right? Who's like, okay, I convinced them to try therapy once. Um, but kids are uh, like pretty more, uh, um, what do I say, rigid about, okay, that didn't work. I'm done. Yeah, I'm out. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so especially if you have a kid, you're trying to take, you know, consider therapy it's even more so important that they don't, you know, that you can get a sense of what what the direction will be so that you can make an informed decision about, okay, does this make sense to us? Now, a lot of times when you're going to therapy, you don't know exactly what the problem is. You're going to therapy because you, you've tried other solutions. You don't know exactly what the right solutions are. But what I do say is bring your internal wisdom with you. Like you can evaluate and think through and take time to think about what what they're sharing and what makes sense to them and see if that resonates with you and it's totally appropriate to say you know i need i need some time to think about it i'll get back to you or it's totally appropriate for you to ask more hey i'm noticing the time uh and we're going through a lot of content but i do want to spend some time getting to hear from you like what do you think about it you know what uh you know what directions do you think would be helpful um and, it, and it's it's good to advocate for yourself in that and if that makes the clinician uncomfortable or something i think that's uh, you know, concerning because they, you know, I should be able to tell you, Hey, you're spending time and money for me to help you. I should be able to articulate. Here's what I think is going on. And here's the ways that I think I would be helpful to you. I, I have to be able to do that. Um, I owe it to you to do that. If I think uh, I'm worth your time and money. Yeah, that's so good. Super helpful, Rob. Thank you for some of those clarifying things with folks. And I think advocation for yourself is, and, and if you can't do it for yourself, be, be okay to ask somebody to come along with you that may, maybe you're steeped in brokenness and you, you really, you can't see clearly and it's okay to, to, and that kind of brings me to my, my last point um, that I wanted us to spend just a minute or two on. And thanks so much for hanging with us to this episode. We really want this to be super practical for you as a listener and maybe give you some helpful hints and tips to take a first step into journeying. And this last part for me, I think is, is to bring this whole therapy conversation into the realm of the everyday person. I just connect back to that idea of, you know, you, when you change your oil in your car, you do regular maintenance because cars always need it. They don't just they don't just go on forever and are fine forever. Eventually something's going to happen and you have a catastrophic breakdown. But you can keep that from happening if you maintain regular maintenance on your vehicle. And I talk to people all this about this all the time with their spiritual well-being, their emotional well-being, physical well-being. It connects to all of it. That it's not just super broken people that need therapy or need someone to journey with them through life and what you face. It's everybody. And I want us to talk just a second, Rob, because I think there's value in recognizing that therapy is a part of that journey. 
professional counselors, folks like you, Rob, who have devoted their life to helping people understanding thinking and the mind psychology to help people, um, specifically, you know, people who are in kind of crisis, catastrophic places, they haven't changed their oil and, and life's falling apart kind of situations. But there are other relationships that are super important, one of which I think is more important than any of them. And I'm, I'm kind of um, – <laughs> uh, this is closer to my heart because I'm a Christ follower and uh, a pastor. But it, it, it kind of brought me to this idea in James uh, chapter 1, verse 5. It says this, If any of you lacks wisdom or lacks knowledge about life, that word wisdom in the Hebrew understanding was, was very much this holistic view of understanding how life is lived in its best form, right? how I can be the wholest version of myself. And if any of you lacks wisdom or an understanding of what your best life is, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And I think it it invites me, and I, I hope it invites you today, to recognize that this journey of finding your best self is one that isn't just about therapy, but it's a holistic journey. So find a place of worship. You know, Start with your Creator. Connect with Him. Do you have a vibrant relationship with a God who loves you? Because it begins there. Have have He's created you to be a part of a community. We've talked about that in past episodes, how we weren't created to be isolated and alone. You weren't created to find your best self by yourself. <laughs> you, you were created to be with others. You were created for community. Um, so find people that you trust. Find, and, and that can be hard in life. So we got to find ways to engage with people, hopefully within a church community. I, I'm kind of partial to that, to that way of life, right? If you're, if you're isolated and alone, and you got no friends, find a church that will love on you. Uh, and there are some out there that won't. Ditch them. <laughs> Go find one that will. Find a church where you can plug in and be a part of a faith community. You can find a spiritual mentor. You can find older folks. That's kind of what a lot of what I do in my life. I spend a lot of time um, hunting the folks older than me in my church community and in my surrounding kind of sphere of influence. Find people who've lived more life than you. They generally will have something to give you that will be beneficial. I have this dear friend of mine. Her name is Mary Thompson. Comes to our church. Uh, she, I think she just turned 82. She she has so many stories of life and struggle and joy and years and years of following after Jesus. And every time I sit down and talk with her, I just shut up and I let her speak into my life because it it shows me pathways to wholeness for myself. And it's all of those relationships, all of those things together, therapy, faith, relationships, friendships, family, that that can be used to bring us to our best self. So I think diversification is important too. Uh, maybe I'm speaking against the field of no. psychiatry and all no. and psychology, but um, nope. I do think diversifying your experience helps as well. No, that's just right. Uh, the the studies on lifestyle that correlates with uh, positive mental health and resilience against depression, anxiety, things like that. <clears throat> it includes uh, engaging in spiritual practices and community, spending time outdoors, um, uh, eating an, uh, a balanced, healthy diet, um, exercising, um, uh, you know, the, like it, the list of those things that are exactly what you're saying, the diversifying of, um, uh, of living in a way, well, there, there's wisdom there if you open yourself up to, to those possibilities and that, and that, uh, 
in the sense God providing means that that those things will bear fruit uh, in your life. Yeah. Um, and, and if you, say, for instance, open up uh, vulnerably in therapy um, and, and you've uh, chosen wisely, um, that, that, that things open up. I've, I've seen this. It's, it's often a mix of I'm you know, I'm sharing with them skills and strategies that are learned from uh, studying humans and um, uh, what contributes to health. And we're still ongoing needing to do that because that's, that's a human process. And so that's always improving. Um, but also I think the thing I find is the coolest is the personal transformation. You know, we learn things and we apply them and that's really helpful and a part of attaining wisdom. But I think there's also an element of Relationship, and I think this is where there's crossover in a lot of areas uh, with uh, faith and psychology, where there's a relational experience where the person can discover through the experience of the relationship that um, they they can discover how to value themselves, how to um, tap into and uh, engage their own capacity and their creativity for approaching their life. They discover their courage. Um, uh, they discover their resilience. There, there's something about um, a, a, thera- a therapy experience that can really facilitate transformation of the mind with the skills, but also uh, I think we, we enter into areas of the heart with that type of therapy experience that's really powerful, and you don't have to go to therapy to get that either. Uh, it's one of the avenues. Uh, you can seek out spiritual direction. Um, you can experience that in, in meaningful, connected relationship. I think the one caveat I would give is that sometimes um, what you're what you're having in your relationship, or um, or you know, say a pastor who's doing spiritual direction, they they might not know the skills to help you with you know managing. Uh, uh, it, it, an anxiety disorder, for example, they they might not know the specific strategies that are man. They're proven to be so helpful, um, and and so that's where the value of of diversifying and understanding. Okay, where can where can I get wisdom? Wherever I can get it, I want to I want to seek it out and find it. Um, and and there's yeah, there's wisdom and fruit and in a variety of places. Yeah, and this is a conversation for a whole another episode as well. But I think there is some responsibility as well as practitioners um, to to know, you know, I know as a pastor, when a conversation with a person is moving out of my ability to, you know, where I can only just pray and listen, you know, and that's kind of always my trigger. If if I'm sitting here thinking, and I'm talking with someone, and I'm thinking, man, all I can do for this person is listen and pray, I can't really offer anything to them, then it's it's time for me, and that's what I do, I generally say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm willing to meet and pray with you as much as you want, but I also would encourage you, that this is something you should involve someone else, um, a professional therapist. I have recommendations, you know, mm-hmm. for, for those kind of folks. So it is yeah. up to the responsibility of the practitioner as well to know when yep. to say, hey, I need someone else to come alongside right. in this situation. And I, I do the inverse uh, as well. You know, I've, I've come across uh, patients who've had a previous therapist who, you know, told them to leave their wife, you know, for example, when they clearly indicated, hey, I know this is a toxic relationship towards me. And also, I am more highly in prioritizing my my marriage commitment because it's a matter of faith to me. I'm going to wait until she ends it, for example. Um, you know, the therapist told them explicitly, this is what you should do. Um, and I think, you know, uh, that that's a place for the clinician to say, you know, this is, I can help you talk about matters of spirituality and help you wrestle with them. And also, if you're looking for 
um, you know, spiritual direction, uh, I'm, I'm going to direct you to someone who would do spiritual direction. Um, and that's not necessarily what I'm doing with you. Um, and I'm going to connect you with your pastor. I'm going to let your, your church community speak into that because that's what you want. Um, so uh, it goes both ways. Absolutely. Yeah. Man, it's been so good. Uh, I, I love this practical stuff, and mm-hmm. we hope that, it's, again, it's been valuable to you and your own journey. That's always the heart of Rob and I is uh, that what we talk about here can be used in your own life and move you uh, towards wholeness. That's the journey we're on and hoping for in our own lives and the lives of our family and friends. And uh, we count you as uh, friends of ours. If you're a listener, uh, we're, we're thankful for your time uh, for uh, taking the time out to listen and engage in this uh, really important conversation. But so glad to be here with you. We're looking forward to the next one uh, when we get back with you. Uh, this wonderful, beautiful episode of Staring to the Sun. I'm John Gibson. And I'm Rob Gibson. And uh, we wish you grace and peace. The way we find ourselves is by staring into the sun.